there will come a day. <laughs> well, I will issue that back, I assure you. <laughs> oh, man, what a great day. Uh, I had uh, somebody ask me yesterday why I was sitting through worship, if that's how I worship. And I explained to him, I said, no, I've just been on my feet all day with doing the, uh, the new wine trainings in the morning and then coming uh, here. But I would not miss this for anything. I've just been really looking forward to being back with you guys and uh, just continuing to uh, just to share and, you know, just see the depths of all the great stuff that God wants to do with us, man. I tell you, that's, that's exciting. And just to uh, hear people actually going out and doing it. I mean, that's, that's what keeps me in the game. It really does. It keeps me going. It's not, it's not the stuff that I get to see. We had a, a guy today, as we were heading to, uh, um, uh, to the new wine thing, we were, uh, we were on the train, and, and Richard was so gracious to uh, lead us. Otherwise, I'm quite sure we would have gotten lost, although I think it was a pretty straight shot. I'm sure we would have me- I would have messed that up. Gordon probably wouldn't have, but I would have messed that up somehow because that's just my gift is to mess up perfect, perfectly straight shots. Um, but uh, we um, got on and uh, saw this uh, young lady get on with crutches, and uh, just she kind of sat behind me and just turned around and looked at her and said, hey, what's going on, you know? What happened to your leg? And she said she got kicked really hard in a, a football game and uh, that uh, she was actually on her way to the doctor and that it had happened a few days ago and that it was getting worse, you know, kind of as time had gone, not wasn't getting better. And so um, anyway, just kind of jumped around and uh, sat in front of her and she's like, <gasps> you know, and she's like, what are you doing? And I said, I just, I just want to pray for you. And she's like, oh, okay. And so uh, I asked her to check it out and we prayed and, it, you know, by the time it was done, she was at a, at, at a zero. I think I prayed I think I prayed like four times or something like that, and she was at a, a zero by the time it was over. And I got to be honest with you, I looked at her and I said, I said, uh, you must be a Christian. And two things that told me that, first of all, was how she responded of, she was like, oh, sure, when I said the, the prayer. But then secondly was the fact that it took so much longer than it normally would take for healing <laughs> to take place. It's just true, you know, um, because you'll see, I'm telling you right now, you'll see You'll see uh, unbelievers get healed so much. Let me tell you something. If you think we, you see so much healing happen here, take it outside there, and it's half the time at least, a third to half. You'll see people get healed so much faster. And a part of the reason why that is is because there's so much opposition against us. We're Satan's enemy. And so he's spending more time. I, I've, I've, you know, if you saw Furious Love, I've been to many uh, you know, psychic New Age festivals and witchcraft festivals doing ministry and stuff like that, and, and uh, you, you'll, I've felt more demonic opposition in the church than I've ever felt at a witchcraft festival. And, and that's, not, that's not an indictment against the church. Actually, that's an affirmation of the church because we're his enemy. Satan's going to fight us harder. It's like Bill Johnson says, if, if the enemy's not coming against you, something's wrong. And it's true. If the enemy's not resisting... You know, uh, something is, is, is wrong in that. But anyway, we, uh, the girl, when she was done, she looks at me and she goes, why did it happen? And I said, why did what happen? And she goes, why did I get healed? And I said, because, you know, the Father loves you. He cares about you. And she goes, no, you don't understand. I've had other people pray for me for this thing. You know, and she goes, it, it didn't happen. And, 
And she goes, I got to be honest, the past few years I've been really questioning my faith and even thinking of completely walking away from Jesus and just completely, you know, and I was like, well, that's why it happened. You know, I mean, that's pretty, you know, he's in pursuit of you. He's, I said, you may walk away from him, but he's in pursuit of you. And I said, I think the Lord, you know, sent this here. But I do believe, and I shared with her, I said, probably what was happening in the prayer for you was people were asking for you to be healed versus, you know, commanding your leg to be healed. You know, and remember, John Wimber used to say, you got to tell the body what you want it to do. You got to give the body instructions. And so Alexander Venter in his book, Doing Healing, covers that. Kim Blue and in his book, um, I went blank, Authority to Heal, um, covers, you know, that really, really well. And that we have that authority in that. Uh, so anyway, uh, we, but we got, we got, when we get to New Wine, uh, I just wanted to share this real, real quick. Uh, there was a couple of people, just like we had here, just like Chris did here, had some people, you know, uh, call out some, but in, in, in the midst of some words, some people gave out words for things that they felt like the Lord was wanting to heal. And uh, one of them was uh, shoulders and something with the ear or something like that. Tinnitus. Yeah, tinnitus. And uh, this one guy came up and he, his shoulder was frozen and he couldn't lift it past there and and it was in severe pain, and he had torn the rotator cuff, and uh, prayed, I, I think it was twice, it really wasn't that long, was it? Three, three or four times, okay, twice, not three or four, actually. Uh, but it, it, it was, uh, at the end of it, uh, you know, he was just completely, you know, swinging his shoulder, all the pain had left, he was, he was healed, and then had him pray for the woman with uh, tinnitus, and uh, prayed three times, and, and, and at, the second, at the end of the second time, her ear began to pop, and she goes, it never does that. Uh, but at the end of the third time, all of the um, whistling noise and the, the hissing noise, I think it was, uh, it had completely stopped, and her ear just popped right open. She, she was deaf in the ear as well, other than the ten, ten, tinnitus. Um, you know, she, could, she had a, a serious... Uh, amount of deafness in the ear and of course that was the guy praying for her you know uh, in that and just you know seeing that happen and it, let me tell you it's really important after you have people that get healed as quickly as you can get them to pray for other people it's a it's a it's a it's a war healing is war healing is a warfare thing uh, prophetic is warfare it's, it's, it's how Jesus said, you know, he came to destroy the works of the, of the evil one. It's, a, it's, a, it's an act of war. And so when we're calling out, you know, giving prophetic words, giving words of knowledge, speaking words of encouragement, man, that's something the enemy doesn't want people to hear. And so it's a, it's a warfare. It's combating, you know, the things of the enemy. Uh, speaking the Father's love, the Father's blessing over people. I mean, the enemy doesn't want people to hear that. And so it's a, it's a battle. Uh, as we do that, and so, and, and we see, you know, things break free, you know, as we do, but, uh, but anyway, um, so, it, that's just, hey, how you doing, just give that report to you from, from earlier today, uh, really quick, I want to highlight just a couple of things that we have for you out on the table, I did a six-part, I can't remember, couldn't remember if I already shared this, if this is redundant, forgive me, I did a six-part series called Empowered Evangelism, and this is a six-DVD set, um, going, you know, from uh, healing, deliverance, ministry of manifest presence, prophetic, uh, just training on that. It was three different conferences that I did uh, that we compiled into uh, one set. 
And so it's about eight hours of training on doing all this stuff. And then I also did a teaching called uh, Playgrounds or Battlefields. Um, actually, Michelle was around when I spoke this uh, in Boise. Um, but it's uh, really taking a look at the whole armor of God and how that the Lord... Um, uh, you know, gives us these and how to and what those do, how that works, and uh, you know everything for our lives, and and that we can either sort of choose to be in the playgrounds of things or or in the battlefield, you know, of the spirit. But this is a, a training on that, a DVD teaching on that. I also did a teaching called "Rekindle Your Passion for Christ," and this really came out of something out of my life of where I felt like I was depleting in passion. For the Lord and depleting and passion in my walk, and uh, this is a two-disc set uh, and just a CD set of just talking about how to rekindle that, how to restir just that passion, you know, for the Lord and for His presence and things like that. And then I mentioned Furious Love earlier, and this is just a, a, a DV, one of the movies that Darren Wilson put together. Um, and you know, it's really interesting. I started to say this uh, earlier. Thank you, Gordon. But I. Um, it's really interesting when um, uh, the, the morning, you know, the enemy, the, the enemy tries to keep us back from doing this stuff with fear. And he ministers fear to us. And that's how he keeps us back, you know, from going out. I mean, because the thing that holds us back is I'm afraid that nothing's going to happen. You know, I'm afraid that, that I'm going to look foolish you know, and, and uh, it, I mean, if I were to, you know, ask how many of you, you know, would you be willing to, you know, take a bullet to the head for Jesus, you know, probably the majority of you would raise your hand and say, yeah, I'd take a bullet to the head for Jesus. But if I'd say, how many of you are willing to look stupid for him? All of a sudden, that puts a different spin on it, doesn't it? I'm willing to die for him. I just don't want to look like an idiot for him. And yet, John Wimber's testimony was, I'm a fool for Christ. The title of it was, I'm a fool for Christ. Who's fool are you? And really what John was saying, John was too smart. He was too sharp for, he wasn't formally educated, but, you know, was a brilliant man. But, but n nobody would have been dumb enough to call John Wimber a fool. But what John Wimber was really saying was, I'm willing to look foolish in front of you and in front of the eyes of the world if I make my king look glorious. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to crash and burn in front of you. I'm willing to blow it. And, and when we resolve that, that we're willing to do that, but the thing, of course, that keeps us back from that is fear. And the big fear is the fear of failure. I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid of, of you know, uh, not getting it right. And Satan ministers fear to us. He holds us back with fear, and he's constantly trying to keep us back with fear. And, and how, how that fear works is, is, you know, how does, this, how does the spirit of infirmity manifest, the spirit of sickness? How does that manifest on, on people? Call it out to me. Spirit of sickness. Anxiety? Uh, yeah. Huh? Despair, yeah. Sickness itself, illness, pain, suffering, you know, depression. Yeah, all, all, all of these things are a part of the spirit of infirmity. Pain, suffering in the body, you know, wounds, all of that can be can man manifest as a form of a spirit of, of infirmity. But how does the spirit of fear manifest? The feeling of fear. That's how that, that demonic spirit manifests, is you feel afraid. Now, if you're standing on the top of Big Ben looking straight down, that's just called smart if you're scared. 
You know what I mean? If your knees are a little wobbly looking down on that, well, that's just called being, you know, wise. But when it's the spirit of fear, when all of a sudden you to do, go do something God has told us to do or God has said us he's empowered us to do, and then we're afraid to go do it, well, that's Satan trying to intimidate us away from it. That's him trying to hold us back from it. And that fear that we feel isn't even our fear. It's not even our anxiety. It's the spirit of fear ministering to us. And yet what binds us so many times is we'll say things like, I can't do that, I'm such a fearful person. And that's accepting and embracing an identity that doesn't belong to us. Why? Because the Bible says in Revelation, Christ has made us more than conquerors through Christ. And so we're not fearful people. God doesn't make fearful people. The enemy distorts the image of us and distorts that image and confuses it and it comes off and we we buy into it and because i have feelings i believe that's me do you realize not all your feelings are you do you realize not all your thoughts are you many times they're the fiery darts of the enemy that he's firing into you that he's shooting at you and we embrace those and accept those when we were filming furious love i was we, were, we kind of were uh, meeting at Bethel and, and Reading because the, the Mount Shasta was about two and a half hours away from there and it was the largest psychic New Age festival in the United States uh, that was at Mount Shasta. And so we were getting up and, and, um, and we pulled into the Bethel parking lot there in Reading, California and Chris Overstreet, the outreach pastor, jumps out of his car and he runs over to the car, my car and he's like, dude, 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 roll down the window, roll down the window. And I'm rolling down the window, and I said, what's up, man? And he goes, what did you feel when you got up this morning? And I was like, terror. And he goes, me too. And I said, this is going to be so good. <laughs> and he goes, I know, this is going to be crazy, man. Why? Because Satan is projecting the fear that he feels about what we are going to go do and about the victory we are about to have, he projects that onto us to hold us back. So that fear is not even my fear. If it's the manifestation of the spirit of fear, that fear doesn't even belong to me. So I'm not a fearful person. It's a lie of the enemy. That's not your true identity. That's not who God has made you to be. So when I feel that fear, when I'm about to go pray for somebody and I feel that fear, I can go, yes. Because the enemy is projecting onto me something he feels. It's a preemptive strike that he is shooting at you, that he's lobbing at you to get you to back off because he's afraid of what you're about to go do. You're about to step into your true destiny. You're about to step into your true identity. And so he's projecting that at you. And what happens is is we think every feeling we have, every thought we have, this is where a lot of people get confused in sexuality, and say things like, well, I've always had these thoughts, and I've always had these feelings. But not all your feelings are you. Not all your thoughts are you. God can give you thoughts, and the enemy can give you thoughts. I don't believe the enemy can read your mind, because there's nothing in the Bible that indicates that. I can't prove it, but you can't disprove it. I get the mic. I have the mic so I can say my thoughts. (laughs) But the enemy can't read your mind, and so he doesn't know that he's made a hit until either what you say, if you stop and say, well, oh, I can't do that. I'm going to fail. Then he's like, I got him. Or I can't do that. What What if they think this? Or what if they think that? 
We have a guy in our church, uh, his name is Mike Smith. He was, he's actually the guy I ended up turning my church over to. He started, he was a, started coming, he was a school principal. And um, I just went to him one day and I said, you know, Mike, I said, I just feel like the Lord really is, you know, I want to, I said, I hope the Lord's speaking this to you and I want this to be confirmation to you. I don't want you to just hear it from me. But I said, I feel like the Lord's really wanting you to pray for some of your students and pray for some of your faculty for healing. And he goes, oh, I can't do that. I'll get fired. And I was like, well, you know, Mike, I'd really want to encourage you to pray about that and do what the Lord tells you to do. You know, don't do this because I'm saying this. I want this to be confirmation for you. And if it's not, then don't do it. But I want you to do what the Lord's telling you to do. So he goes away and he prays and he comes back and he goes, you know, I really feel like the Lord's telling me to do that. But Robbie, I'll lose my job. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get fired. I'm like, but dude, think about, you know, how much worse it is if you don't do what God's telling you to do. I mean, I think God will cover you if you do what he tells you to do. That's just, I think, the deal. You know, it's the whole thing of, you know, hey, you care about my stuff and I'll take care of your stuff. That's, that's my definition of seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's Robbie version translation. But anyway, so he goes back to school, you know, a few weeks later and one of his teachers comes in and he has cancer. Mike says, you know, I, I know we're not supposed to do this, but I just feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. And the teacher's like, man, I've been, I've been, he says, I've been asking God that somebody who believed in healing would pray for me. And so he prays for him, and the guy goes back to the doctor several weeks later, and he says, well, he says, the cancer's not progressing, but it's still there. Mike prays again. He goes back to the doctor, and he says, now it's in remission. Now it's going down. I had no treatment whatsoever. And so Mike's like, oh. Mike starts praying for everybody. It got to where that Mike was leading at least two people to Christ a week in his office. He was seeing people get healed like crazy. Finally, the superintendent calls him up on the phone and says, we got a problem. And he goes, I've been getting reports about you praying for people and, you know, and people uh, leading people to Jesus. And he goes, you know, that's, that's against the rules. That's against the policy. And he goes... He told him, he goes, well, I don't think it's against the law. I don't think it's a legal issue. It's just against, you know, the state policy. And he goes, I don't believe I'm breaking the law. And he said, uh, he goes, well, no. He goes, but, you know, you'll lose your job over this. As a matter of fact, I want you to come in. And he goes, am I about to lose my job? And he said, yeah. And so he says, well, I have the right to bring in somebody as a witness. And he goes, I want to bring my pastor in as a witness. So I went in with him. And as we were driving over to his office, Mike told me, he goes, I said, you don't seem nervous at all. He goes, I'm not. And I said, why? He goes, because I called his secretary yesterday. And he goes, I just found out he got a cancer diagnosis. He goes, this is going to be really good. <laughs> so we go in the office, and uh, we sit down with the superintendent, and he looks at him, and he goes, well... Mike, he goes, I'm, I'm assuming that you brought your pastor here because, you know, you know you're about, basically about to get canned, you know? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, um, he goes, well, he goes, do you have anything to say? And he goes, well, he goes, I just want you to know, we just called, you know, your secretary yesterday and found out you have a cancer diagnosis. He goes, I'd like to pray for you to be healed. And he goes, well, you realize this is why you're getting fired, right? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, but hey, if I'm going down, let's go big. <laughs> And so he says, can we pray for you? And I was like, he said, okay. And so Mike, you know, comes around and I come around, but I'm, I'm not really touching the guy. I'm just sort of standing there and just sort of, you know, uh, sort of interceding as Mike goes to pray. And as Mike prays, he says, 
He says, I just call for the fire of God to come and just burn out every cancer cell in his body. And when he did, the superintendent shoots back in the air about four feet, hits his bookshelf and slides down the bookshelf. And all Mike did is he just had his hand on his chest like this. And the superintendent's much bigger than Mike is. Mike's kind of a bit more of a slight guy. And he just shoots back, and we were like, <laughs> I was like, this is really good, man. And he goes, I know, I know. And the guy finally kind of, you know, he kind of pulls himself together, and he goes, man, he goes, he had cancer in the stomach, and he, he began to feel, he goes, I feel like my intestines are on fire right now. And he's like, he said, uh, let's, let's postpone this meeting till another date. <laughs> so he postpones the meeting. He goes to the doctor a couple of days later, and all the cancer was gone. He was completely healed. So, well, it gets better. So he calls Mike into uh, his office again for, for that meeting. And he looks at Mike and he goes, he goes, listen. He goes, I'd be a dead man if you hadn't prayed for me. And he goes, so here's the deal. He goes, you got a hall pass. He goes, you can pray for as many people as possible. He goes, we'll probably both get fired. He goes, but I would be dead if you hadn't prayed for me. He says, so you just keep going, man. He goes, I'll cover your back. And, and, and when we did Mike's ordination, you know, the superintendent was right on the front row there, you know, in support of, uh, of that. And so, guys, let me tell you something. There's so many. You can't lose with this. And let me tell you why. You go up to pray for somebody and nobody gets healed. You've obeyed God. He said, go heal the sick. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. God's spiking the ball every time. I think he's more, I think he gets more pleasure out of our obedience than he even does the, the very act itself, than what's happening, than the healing, than the deliverance, than the, the word of knowledge. I think he's just so thrilled over, you know, his children wanted to please him and wanting to follow through. So every time it's a success. Every time it's successful. If you really look at it from that perspective, really understand it from that, that perspective, it's always a success in that sense. And God has called us to be people of the presence. One of the things that captured me, turn with me to Exodus 33. I know you guys have, you know, like I said Sunday, you guys have great teaching and preaching here. You've heard this passage probably a hundred times, but I hope to shed a little light on some of it for you. But one of the things that so attracted me to the vineyard was this phrase, people of the presence, that the vineyard was called to be. And I remember when, when we in the United States and the vineyard in the U.S. had a, had a different overseer and uh, there was talk about we were a church planting movement and all these other movements. And I remember, you know, just in my spirit and even saying to a few people, you know, I, I really feel more than anything we're called to be a people of the presence movement, where we are people of the presence of God. And when people get around us, there should be a sense of encountering the presence of God, really. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, doesn't mean we get everything right, doesn't mean we say everything, you know, just, just right, but just be, being a people of the presence. And, and I remember... Um, when our new national director took over, one of the first things he did was send out an email. And he says, more than a church planting movement, more than a, you know, a kingdom movement, he says, we are a people of the presence movement. And I was like, yes. That's what we're called to be. That's what drew me to the vineyard. That's what drew. 
you know, seeing, seeing the spirit move and seeing the presence of God move and seeing that, and, and that's something. And, and let me set this passage up with Exodus 33. I mean, here Moses, if you look at the life of Moses, really powerful. I have a teaching out there on the table that's called uh, Moses, the, the roundabouts of God. And if you take a look at, at, at just the, the trek in the desert, they're just stuck many times on roundabouts. Now, I tried driving here in the UK one time, and I got stuck on two roundabouts and couldn't get off. And part of it is because I was just driving the other way and just trying to figure that whole thing out and then making sure I turned the right direction and stayed on the right side of the road. The proper side of the road was just terrifying to me. Um, but I, I, I was, after that, when I came back home, I did, I actually developed that teaching after getting stuck on one of your roundabouts and just thinking that must have been what it felt like for the children of Israel. But if you look at the life of Moses, let me ask you a question. If you were going to kill somebody, not that you've ever thought of that, but just hypothetically, if you were going to, if you were, or let, let's, let me back away from that. That's not the right way to pose that question, is it? We're in church, right? Okay. Let's say you're going to save somebody's life. <laughs> you're going to save somebody's life, and, and you're, you're trying to save them from somebody murdering them. Where would you put them in proximity to their murderer to protect them? As far away as possible. But I want to show you the genius of God. God puts Moses right in the house of the very guy trying to kill him to protect him. He puts him in Pharaoh's house, and Pharaoh's trying to kill him. And yet, this is, this is just the genius of God. And he pays for his education, too. <laughs> Turns out it's the finest education in all of Egypt. And then he turns around and makes him a prince of Egypt. This is the dude he was trying to kill. I mean, it's a powerful passage when you really take a look at it. It's really, it really, really is. But this just shows you the genius of God. And growing up in that, all of a sudden, Moses begins to try to put his hand to He hears that he's going to be the deliverer, the redeemer. And he tries to put his hand to it on his own. And it sort of blows it and fails at it. And, and he finds himself on the backside of the desert, probably thinking he had totally totally blown his opportunity to be used by God. I've wasted it. I've blown it. It's over. What was I thinking? And then he becomes this, you know, sheep herder, you know? Have you ever hung around any farmers? Farmers talk about weird stuff. My grandfather was a farmer. I mean, is excited. My grandfather would have, at dinner time, he would come to dinner and he'd be like, well, all the cattle are regular today. And I'm like, we're really talking about the bowel movement of cows at the table? You know, I'm serious. That's what we were talking about. And he's like, yeah. You know, they were just, and I'm like, ew, this is so gross. And so, you know, Moses' probably good, exciting day was that all the sheep are regular. You know, or he found some shiny rock in the middle. For 40 years, that was the case for Moses. And then one day, he sees this flicker off in the distance. You know, and he goes to investigate it, what it was, and, you know, he finds there the presence of God. And God telling him, look, I want you to be the Redeemer, I want you to go. And then all this, Moses spends, you know, all day trying to talk God out of it, trying to tell him why he's not the guy to do it. You know, please don't do this. This will be a mess, this will be a disaster, but of course God still picks him. Anyway, so he's taking the children of Israel through, and then right before this passage where we're picking this up, you know, He's furious because they've built this golden calf while he was up on the mountain getting the law. 
And he comes down and he finds them worshiping another. He finds them going after another. And it just, you know, he knows it breaks God's heart. It breaks his heart. And so it, it sort of picks up from there in this communication of verse 33. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 1, Get going, you and the people that you brought up here from the land of Egypt. Now notice here, Moses didn't want to do it. And God says, get going, you and those people that you brought up from the land of Egypt. Now God's trying to say, they're your people, you brought them, you did this. And, uh, you know, this doesn't sit well. And he says, go and get going. He says, uh, he goes, go take the land that I swore to give your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them I would give you the land to your descendants. And I will send an angel before you and they'll drive out the Canaanites and Amorites and all these otherites. In verse 3, go up to that land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you. For you are a stubborn and a rebellious people. If I traveled with you, I would kill every last one of you. Just soak that word in for a minute. (laughs) I would destroy all of you. I mean, this is not an affirming word here. This is not a positive word here. And when the people hear it, man, their hearts break. You know, they begin. And here God is saying to them, he's saying, listen, you want the land flowing with milk and honey. What God is really looking at them and saying, hey, you know what? You don't want me anymore. You want my bling. You want my stuff. You want the gold. You just prove that by making this golden calf, by making somebody else that you, something else that you've depended upon, something that your eyes can see that's tangible that makes sense to you, you've turned to that rather than to my voice that you can't see, but you've turned to that instead. And it breaks God's heart. And he says, so if you want the bling, go get the bling. But I'm not going with you. Now, the interesting thing with Moses is Moses had had the bling. He'd been in the, probably the most powerful man on the planet's home, the wealthiest man on the planet's home, He had seen the bling. He had been around the bling. He had been around all this wealth, all this riches. He'd had the finest of everything. And we see that when Moses, going down to verse 8, when Moses would would go into the tent of the meeting, all the people would, you know, gather around and stand there, and they would watch, and they would see the cloud descend. And they would see as they were led through the wilderness, the, the, the two things that symbolized the presence of God was the pillar of fire and the cloud that would lead them. That told them God is among us. The presence is here. They weren't tangible things like gold or silver or metal, things they could touch, but it was this thing that they could not hold, that they could not contain, but what they, he was the source of, evidence of his presence. Now, let me tell you something. There's not, never a way that we can really c- contain this. But that, 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 that the cloud would come and, you know, and, and it would hover over and they would see you know, the reality of the presence of God. In verse 12, it says, And one day Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, take these people and go to that promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You've told me I know you by name. I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, then let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. Now notice, what is Moses saying here? God, I don't want your bling. I want you. Man, when Sam was singing that song tonight, it just every time I hear that phrase, 
I just want to know you. It just rips me apart to hear Paul, to know Paul is saying that I may know him. I mean, who had encountered him, who had seen him, who had seen the incredible miracles and hear his cry coming in the end of his life. I just need to know him because knowing him means everything. There's no substitute for knowing him. None. I just need to know him. I just want to know him. And that's the cry of Moses. I just want to know you. If, I, if, if you look favorably on me, let me see your presence. I want to know your presence. I want to know you. I don't care about your stuff. It blows me away. Can I just be honest here? It blows me away when I have Christians who are like, well, if God doesn't heal me, then I'm really struggling in my faith. As if somehow he owes that. As if somehow he should just produce. And yet Job is crying out, though you slay me, I'll never stop serving you. Why? Because I just want to know you. That's what matters. Not your stuff, not what you give, not the easement of suffering, not the easement of of struggles and hardships. I just want to know you. That's everything. That's what being people of the presence is about. I may know you. But then he throws in, and remember, this nation is your people. These aren't my people, Father. These are your people. That's what Moses is saying. And the Lord replied. He says, Moses, I'll personally go with you. I will personally go with you. I will give you rest, and everything will be fine with you. Now, let me tell you something. A lot of leaders would go, that's a pretty good gig. And go back to the camp and say, guys, I hate to break it to you. God likes me and not you. (laughs) If you want to be near God's favor, stick with me. Treat me nice. Otherwise, you're just out. Because he likes me, but he really kind of hates you. Just saying. It's pretty good. I mean, you know, a lot of people would be like, yeah, you know, I just want you to know. I'm the favored one. You're not. I am. So treat me well. If you want to experience any of God's favor. But notice how Moses replied. Moses said, if you don't personally go with us. Now that's the heart of a true leader. Not pursuing for himself, but for the whole. No, if you don't go with us. We need to be the people of your presence, Lord. If you don't go with us, notice what he says then don't make us leave this place. This was a place of suffering. This was a place of hardship. This was a place of dependency. This was a place of lack. But Moses was like, your bling means nothing. I want you, even if it means staying here, even if it means staying in this hardship. Let me tell you something, my friends. We have a tendency to really avoid fire. We have a tendency, why? Fire hurts. Fire's hard. Had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rebuked the flames and broke the fire and said no, that it went, the king would have never seen Jesus. My friends, in the midst of the fire, look for Jesus. Look for him in the midst of the fire. Don't avoid the fire. Look for him in the midst of the fire. 
Look for him in that place. If you notice, I mean, in that fire, in that place of the fire, in that place even of resistance, I refer to that as the kiln of God. It's where the fire strikes the clay and solidifies it and makes us a useful vessel. Jesus had to go through it and, you know, and we see in Luke chapter 5 and going through the wilderness and going through, or Luke chapter 4, I'm sorry, going through the wilderness. It's a place that resistance is the, is the kiln of God. It strikes the clay. Notice that, that Saul doesn't become Paul until he does the deliverance on the, on the woman, I think it's, it's Acts 9, where the, the woman who's possessed by the demon, and he cast it out. And then all of a sudden it says, you know, Paul, who was known as Saul, it's almost like the promotion into that, next, that new identity happens because he breaks that power. Don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me or on your people if you don't go with us for your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth? Distinction. I was a part of a vineyard uh, meeting in in another country and the national leader got up and he was talking about... uh, how that uh, one of the young leaders asked a question. And he goes, you know, where, where's kind of the signs and wonders? Where's the, the power ministry? Where's those things? And, the, and then this particular national leader put his hand up and he goes, listen, we don't want any one thing trying to make us distinct like that. We want to do all things well. We want to do all things. And we don't want there to be one thing that defines us. And I begged him if I could have a private meeting with him. I pulled him aside and I said, sir, I don't think you understand what he's asking. He's asking, where's the family resemblance? And he goes, I don't understand what you're saying, Robbie. I said, when I took my sons the first time to a Dawkins family reunion, I noticed my boys kind of in the corner pointing at different people and laughing and snickering. And I'm like, what are you laughing about? You better not be being disrespectful here and all that. And they're like, no, Dad, everybody here has the same nose. (laughs) It's so freaky. We all have the same nose, except Mom. (laughs) And they were like, and I was like, but you're not making fun of that nose, are you? And they were like, no, it's cool. And I said, what do you think that means? And my oldest son says, it means we belong. The family resemblance says belonging. And when he told us to this leader, he goes, I get it. I said, they need to know what makes us distinct. Where's the family resemblance? Let me tell you, the power of God, the moving, the stirring, the presence of God, it's the family resemblance of this movement. It's what made us distinct. It's what's made us known. And just as the people of God, period, whether you're from this movement or not, and notice what happens. He goes, it makes us distinct. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. And Moses responded and said, and show me your glorious presence. It's not enough to hear it. I want to encounter your presence. I want to encounter you. Let it re- unleash it on me. Let it rip on me. Let it rip on my life. And show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied to him and he said, I will make all my glory pass before you and I will call out my name Yahweh before you for I will show mercy to anyone that I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But he says, but you may not look directly on my face 
for no one may see me face to face and live. Do you know that's still true today? Whenever we encounter the face of God, there's something in us that dies. Man, when I see the face of God, I die to selfish ambition. I die to pride. I desire, my desire for you know, self-promotion or my desire to be somebody special, it just starts dying inside of me. You know what I mean? To see his face, something dies in us. There's a change that comes. And he says, look, stand near on this rock and my glorious presence will pass by and I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And he says, then I will remove my hand and I will let you see me from my side. And one version says, from my back. He says, but my face will not be seen. Have you ever wondered why that happened? I don't know for sure, but this is just my take on it. I think God lets Moses see the back and not his face because he wants to, he's saying to Moses, I want you to get familiar with my back because I always want you in pursuit of me. I always want you in pursuit of me. Man, I can always tell when my wife wants me to pursue her. She shows me her back. She doesn't feel quite appreciated enough. If she doesn't feel quite loved enough or quite, you know, that doesn't feel like we are thankful enough, all of a sudden we sort of get her back. That may come in the form of a colder meal or a little bit of colder isolation time at night. Shows it back. And what is she saying? Pursue me. Show me. You value my presence. My friends, nothing replaces presence. Nothing. I talk with my kids on Skype all the time, and my wife always reminds me, she goes, we love talking to you, so glad you took the time. Please call again, of course, you know, and, and she, says, but, uh, she says, but honey, always remember, nothing replaces your presence. You know what that does to me? You know how much that appreciated, how thankful I am, that they appreciate that? And guys, all of a sudden, notice that we see in the in the. In the tabernacle, we see the fire, the pillar of fire leading. But you notice in the temple, in the, in the dedication of Solomon's temple, the cloud appears again. And we see the cloud many times. But where's the pillar of fire symbolizing the presence? Where is it? Have you ever wondered that? We don't see it again until Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit comes in with that gale force wind. And the pillars of fire appear on their heads. People of the presence. One day I was getting on a plane, and I'll finish with this story, but brace, it's not a short story. None of my stories are short, but. <laughs> but um, I was getting on a plane one day, and my wife told me, she goes, Robbie, she goes, you know, I, she goes, you've been working really hard. She's been doing a lot of meetings. She goes, I really want you to take some time. And, you know, she goes, on this next flight, do something normal people do on airplanes. You know, she goes, watch a movie, you know, do something. She goes, don't just read. Do something, you know. And, 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 I, and I really do that stuff. I don't know why she thinks I do that. I, honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm a regular guy. And she's like, she's like, do something normal people do. And she goes, download a movie on iTunes or something, you know, watch this and so I was like, okay, so I found this movie, downloaded So, And people who fly a lot, if you fly a lot on a particular airline, you get what they call status. And the status means that you get, 
you know, that if you fly a lot, and I fly primarily with American Airlines, and I have, like, the highest ranking status because I fly so much. And what that means is that even though I buy the cheapest ticket, you know, a lot of times, not necessarily international flights, but on, on, on local flights, domestic flights, they bump me up, and they'll bump me up to first class. And I never buy a first class ticket, but they'll bump me up to that. And so, anyway... I, you know, I, I get in the line, and you know, the, the, as, as the flight attendants take the tickets, she goes, oh, Mr. Dawkins, we you know, want to thank you for your flying with us so much. Last year, I flew 175,000 miles. And they said, you know, we want to you know, invite you to come into the first class. I was like, thank you very much. But when I travel, I always travel really comfortable. So I wear like these workout, black workout pants, black T-shirt, or... You know, I dress casual, I'm really comfortable. And so when I kind of come in the first class and start putting my stuff down, everybody's looking at me like, whose boarding pass did you steal? <laughs> you know? And so I get in, I'm putting my stuff, and everybody kind of looks. And people always ask me all the time, what do you do for a living? And I know what they're thinking. Nobody in coach ever asked me that, but in first class, they always ask that. And I know they're thinking, you don't belong up here. And so I, you know, uh, the biggest, the, t the number one guess is a professional wrestler. <laughs> it just so happens to be my favorite also. The number two guess is rap artist. <laughs> and so this particular flight, I get on and, and I'm putting my stuff up and I'm sitting beside this little woman, little lady who's uh, by, you know, uh, at the window. And I uh, put my stuff up, and I sit down, and the um, plane starts to take off, and, and, um, and we get to cruising altitude to pull out my, you know, put down the, the tray that you, you know, put food and drinks on. I pull out my iPad. I'm all excited. I put my earbuds in, and I start to watch this movie, and all of a sudden, a tap comes on my shoulder, and it's this woman sitting beside me, and I said, I said, yeah, I said, uh, what's... I said, what, what can I do for you? And she goes, well, she goes, I'm sorry. She goes, my name's Marcy. And I said, hi, Marcy, how are you? I said, my name's Robbie. And I shook her hand. And she goes, yeah, she goes, I'm sorry, this is bugging me. I'm sorry to interrupt your movie, but I just have to ask you, what, what do you do? <laughs> and I said, well, that's interesting you ask. I said, Marcy, I always like to ask people to guess what they think I do. I said, would you mind guessing? She goes, are you a rap artist? <laughs> and I said, that would be the number two guess. And she goes, I knew it, you're a professional wrestler. <laughs> And I was like, that's Medina number one guess. I said, I'm neither. I said, Marcy. I said, I'm a minister. And she goes, oh, of what? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm a minister of the gospel. I said, Marcy, I've got the greatest job in the world. I said, I get to travel the world, and I get to teach people and equip people on doing healing, praying for the sick, seeing them healed, giving words of knowledge from God, where God reveals stuff for their lives and tells them these amazing messages, breaking demonic power off of people, and ministering the reality of God's presence where they feel God on them. I said, Marcy, it's the, it's the greatest, most exciting job in the whole world. And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes, I have heard about that healing stuff. She goes, I'm Jewish, I go to synagogue. And she goes, yeah, I don't, I don't believe in that healing stuff. She goes, I'm sure you do some good for somebody somewhere. But yeah, I don't believe in that. I looked at her and I was like, okay. And I pull my earbuds out and start wrapping them up and wrap my iPad pad up because I'm going, this flight's over, you know? <laughs> I looked at her, I said, well, here's the deal, Marcy. I said, do you have any pain in your body right now? And she goes, excuse me? And I said, do you have any pain in your body right now? I said, 
For instance, like, and I put my hand just right behind her and her shoulders, between her shoulder blades. I said, for instance, like right here, I said, do you have degenerating discs there and you're in pain right now? And she goes, no. She goes, I have bulging discs there. And I was like, oh, okay. I said, well, sometimes I get it wrong. I said, well, here's the deal, Marcy. I said, if you'll let me pray for your back, Jesus will completely heal your back right now so that you'll know how much he loves you and cares about you and wants a relationship with you. I said, so Marcy, would you let me pray for your back? She goes, well, what do I have to do? I, I, I've never had anybody do that before. And I said, just sit there and relax. I said, but before I do that, I want you to check your back and do a movement where it hurts the most. When any position that you go in where it hurts the most, and I said, I know flying in an airplane can be really painful for people with bulging discs or degenerating discs. I said, but fine. And she goes, well, it hurts like that. She goes, oh, 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 yeah, 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 right there. I said, well, let's give that a 10. That pain level is a 10. Zero, Marcy, would be no pain. But I'm going to pray for you right now. Jesus is about to heal your back. And she goes, well, okay. And so I just put my hand on her back and I said, Father, I thank you for healing power. Now, why do I do that? Because Jesus standing outside of the tomb of Lazarus, what does he say? Father, I thank you that you always hear me. What is he doing? As soon as he says, Father, what is he doing? Establishing his identity. I am your son. I come with full rights. I come empowered by you. I come under the banner of your name and the authority of who you are, Father. I thank you that you always hear me. What's that? Expectancy. He's surrounded by unbelief. And then he says, Father, would you please go in that tomb? And would you please, I beg you, raise Lazarus from the dead? Is that what he says? Father, I beg you to go in there and sit in my... Father, it would really help my career as a healer, as a, you know, the son of God, if you would go raise Lazarus out, I beg you, please go in there and do this. Will you please do this? Be a good God and go do that for me. There's some guys here who want to kill me, and this will maybe help stay it off a little bit longer. Father, would you please? Is that what he says? Father, I thank you that you always hear me. Lazarus, come forth. There's no request. There's no begging. There's no pleading. There's no negotiation. So I said, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. And I thank you for my friend Marcy. Now by the authority of Jesus Christ, so that Marcy will know how much you love her, and Jesus, how much you are pursuing her, and you're in a hot pursuit of her, and you love her, and you want a relationship with her, and you're inviting her to that relationship right now, so that she will know that I command this back to be healed by the authority of Jesus Christ. Back be healed in Jesus' name. What am I doing there? Taking a risk. And so we've gotten to where we've thought of the church that me getting up from this seat over here and moving over here to somebody in this seat over here and saying, can I pray for you, has all of a sudden become risk. Can I tell you in here there's not much risk in that? Those are good beginning steps, but we need to graduate to the expectancy and the faith that God's called us to. And so I looked at her and I said, now, Marcy, check your back. And she goes, well, you don't understand. This has been for 18 years. And I said, would you just check it just for me? And she goes, well, yeah. She goes, well. And I said, can you give me a number? She goes. 
I said, can you find it? She goes, and I said, where are we at? She goes, it's at a three. She goes, that's amazing. I said, can I pray for you again? And she goes, yes. So I put my hand on her back again. I said, same prayer. Father, I thank you that you always hear me. I thank you for Marcy so that Marcy will know that you love her and are pursuing her and that you want a relationship with her. Back, I command you to go to a zero right now. All pain, get out. So Marcy will know that by the authority of Jesus Christ. Be healed in Jesus' name. I said, now, Marcy, check your back. And she goes. And I said, where's it at? She goes, let me out. So I put my knees aside, she gets out, and she goes to the, in the aisle in front of everybody, and she puts her hands flat on the floor. Now, imagine these touching that down there. (laughs) Use your imagination. It's kind of like what it looked like right there. And she gets up, and she looks at everybody in the cabin, and she goes... This man just prayed for me, and my back got completely healed right now. And everybody's looking at her like, okay, crazy lady. <laughs> and she goes, that's amazing. She sit, and I said, come on, why don't you sit down? And she sits down, and she goes, Robbie, you could make millions. <laughs> and I said, Marcy, that's exactly what I want to make. I want to make millions of followers of Jesus Christ doing this all over the world and seeing Jesus glorified just like this. I want millions of those. And she goes, okay. She says, that's not what the millions I was talking about. I said, I know, but those are the millions I'm after. She's like, all right. And I said, Marcy, here's the best part. What Jesus just did for your back was what he was offering to do for your entire life. I said, Jesus Christ just invited you into a relationship with him. Healing your back was his invitation for you to come into a relationship with him. I said, Marcy, how would you like to respond to Jesus right now and his invitation to you? And she goes, well, hang on. That sounds like pressure. <laughs> and I was like, oh, does it? And she goes, yeah. She goes, yeah, that's, that's, that's a little too much pressure. She goes, I'd have to think about that. And I said, okay, Marcy. I said, no problem. And she goes, well, yeah, that's, that's pressure. And I was like, I, I get it. No pressure here. And I said, Marcy, here's the deal. I said, you sit there on the rest of the flight, and you enjoy your back. And as you enjoy your back, just remember, keep in mind Jesus' invitation to you. And just contemplate how he would, you would like to respond to that. And she goes, well, again, that sounds like... I said, okay, okay, I get it. I get it. I said, but just, just think about it. And so I pull my iPad out, and I put my earbuds back in, and start, you know, watching my movie again, and I just, every now and then, I'd turn over and look, and Marcy would be like, <laughs> staring at me, and I'd be like, and she's like, and like So I go back to watching the movie, and then all of a sudden, the, 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 the uh, flight attendant, the purser of the airline, he comes over the intercom, and he goes, we have a medical emergency on the flight. He says, we need a doctor, a nurse, or any trained medical professional right now. We have a medical emergency. If you are one of those things, push your call button right now. Well, I had my earbuds in, so I didn't hear the announcement, and all of a sudden, I feel, and I look over, and Marcy's holding my earbud, and she goes, time to go to work. 
And I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, you didn't hear that call they just gave? And I said, no. She told me the call they gave and that they had a medical emergency. She goes, you need to hit that call button and go back there and do that healing on whatever, whoever needs it back there. And I said, well, Marcy, I'll do that, but just let me explain to you. I said, the last time I tried to do that on this particular airline, they told me they have a policy that they won't, they won't let you pray for people. And I said, so they may say no. She goes, we'll just see about that. <laughs> Push the call button. So the purser came back, and his name is Tim, and he comes back, and he goes, are any, either one of you a doctor or a nurse? And she goes, no. But she goes, you listen to me, young man. She goes, this guy just prayed for my back. I've had 18 years of pain. And he prayed for me, and Jesus just healed me so that I would know how much he loves me and wants a relationship with me. <laughs> and she goes, you let him go back there to whoever needs whatever, and she goes, Jesus will do the same thing for them so they'll know that he wants a relationship with them too. <laughs> and so he's like, all right, come on. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, all right. So I get up, and he takes me to the back, and what had happened is a guy in the middle, the flight was packed. And the guy in the middle of the flight, all of a sudden, he started feeling sick to his stomach and started feeling lightheaded. So he got up because he thought he was going to be sick, and he went to go to the bathroom. And as he did, he passed out, landed into another of the uh, passengers, and he, and he dislocated the guy's shoulder. And so the guy passed out, and the guy's shoulder was like behind him. And they were able to get the shoulder back. Some other of the passengers were able to do that. They weren't medical people, but, but the guy, of course, was in horrific pain. It was really bad. And then the guy was passed out on the floor. They drug him to a chair, and he was conscious again, but he was just, you know, very white, very sick. And so I went back, and I asked him, I said, can I pray for you? And said the same thing, and prayed for him. By the time we were done, his, his sickness and his dizziness and all that had gone down to about a one. And it kind of, at, the t at a one, I was about to pray again, and the flight attendant said, Robbie, he goes, I'm sorry, but he goes, I've got to get you back up into your seat. He's Mr. Dawkins, you know, because they have your last name. He says, I've got to get you back up into your seat. He goes, because people have to get up and go to the bathroom, and, and you're blocking the aisle here. And he goes, he goes, I'm sure at a one, he'll be fine. And, you know, Tim was watching the entire time. And he goes, but we got, I said, well, would you please let me pray for the guy's shoulder? And he goes, yeah. He goes, let's do that. And so I stop and we go up and pray for the guy's shoulder. And literally after just two prayers, the guy was just swinging his arm around, no pain, full mobility, everything, you know, he said was fine. There was no pressure or swelling. And then Tim says, you know, I got to get you back up to your seat. And I said, okay. So I get up to the seat and, and as soon as I walk, you know, pull the curtain in first class, I look and Marcy's eyes are looking over the seat and she goes, well, she goes, how did we do? <laughs> and so I gave her a report of what happened, and she goes, she goes, this is the most exciting flight I've ever been on in my entire life. She goes, I want to fly with you everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> About that time, Tim comes to the curtain. He was, he was up in the galley, and he comes to the curtain. He comes back, and he goes, Mr. Dawkins, he goes, I need to see you up in the galley. And I was like, oh, okay, Tim. I says, everything all right? He goes, well, I need, I need to talk to you up in the galley. And I was like, okay, Tim. So I go up to the galley, and he pulls the curtain, and he, and he sits there, and he folds his arms, and he looked mad. And I was like, oh, man, hopefully they don't flow me, throw me off the plane, you know? <laughs> and I said, what's going on, Tim? He says, Mr. Dawkins? He goes, I watched Jesus heal those two men back there. And he goes, I'm telling you, that can't happen and I said 
Tim, I, I don't understand. And I could see his chin start to shake. And he goes, Mr. Dawkins, he goes, I watched those two men back there get healed when you pray for them. And he goes, you need to understand that cannot happen. I said, Tim, I don't understand. I said, help me out. What's, what's going on here? I said, something else is going on. And he looked at me and his chin began to shake. His eyes began to tear up. He goes, Mr. Dawkins, he goes, I have a master's in divinity. He goes, I was studying for the ministry. I was about to be ordained. And he goes, and in my church, he says, they called me in for a last interview and they said that they had noticed that I had never you know, had any sort of romantic relationship with a woman, that I had never been in a, in a relationship with a woman, and, and that they were concerned, and they were asking about sexuality, and I just told them, I said, I got to be honest with you, I've never been attracted to the opposite sex. He says, but I've never been involved in a homosexual relationship, and he goes, I've just planned on doing like Jesus did and giving my sexuality to Jesus, and that would be my sacrifice, and he goes, I've never been and any of those relationships. And they looked at me and they said, if you don't get married, we will not ordain you. And he said, they looked at me and they told me, they said, matter of fact, we want to suggest some women for you to marry. And he looked at him and he says, I can't do that to a woman. And he goes, I can't do that. And that would be, that would be inappropriate and that wouldn't be right. And he said, Mr. Dawkins, he goes, from that day forward, he goes, there was not a man in the church that would look me in the eye again and he goes, men who would give me a hug would never hug me. They wouldn't even shake my hand after that. And he goes, and I just decided all of it was just a big lie. And he goes, I walked away from all of it and just said it's not real. And he goes, and then you come on my plane today. And I watched Jesus heal those men. He goes, Mr. Dawkins, that cannot happen. Do you understand me? I looked at him and I said, oh, Tim. I said, Tim, would you do me a favor? And I put my hands on his shoulders. I said, would you look me right in the eye? And he looks me in the eyes, and I said, Tim, you were wronged. I said, what they said to you was wrong, and that was not right. The way you were treated, I said, you were hurt by the church. And I said, Tim, I'm so sorry. You know, we're just men and women, and we make mistakes, and we do wrong, make wrong decisions sometimes. I said, Tim, would you forgive me as a representative of the church of Jesus Christ? Would you forgive me for hurting you and you being wounded by those people? And I said, because, Tim, Jesus loves you. And I said, Tim, and Tim told me, he says, I went straight into the homosexual community. And he says, and I've been in gay relationships ever since. And I said, and Tim, what you decided was not right either. And it was not God's best for you. What they did was not right, and what you did was not God's best. And I said, but Tim, Jesus is inviting you back into a relationship with him. Now, guys, let me tell you something. We as the church can never sacrifice biblical truth on the altar of cultural relevance. Never. We are the thermostat. We are the north of, of, of understanding morality for them. And we never compromise that to be palatable or to be acceptable. But we always are loving and embracing. Always. But not in condoning for the purpose of cultural relevance. And I put my hands and I said, Tim, will you forgive me? And he began to cry. And I said, now, Tim, 
I said, I want to pray that you get connected, reconnected with Jesus because he's here and he loves you. And Tim, he's in a hot pursuit of you. Even though you walked away from him, he's never walked away. He's been in pursuit of you the entire time. And he says, you can pray. And I began to pray and Tim began to weep. His hands began to shake and he goes, what is this? What is this? And I said, that's just the Father loving you, Tim. He's embracing you, and he's coming on you right now. And he just shakes, and he goes, ah, and he just drops to the floor. And I mean, it was like a big thud, you know, on the ground. And he hits the floor, and I bend down, and I've got my, you know, hand on his head and my, you know, and my other hand on his back, and I'm saying, Father Moore, just lavish your love on him. And he's like, I feel heat and electricity all over my body. And I said, that's the presence of the Father loving you, Tim. Now, my leg was sticking out of the curtain in first class. <laughs> and one of the flight attendants heard the noise, and so she comes and pulls back the curtain, and I'm hunched over Tim. <laughs> and she goes, oh, my goodness. And I said, I'm just praying for Tim, that's all. And she goes, oh, my, I'll leave you two alone. And I'm like... Because I don't want Tim to feel abandoned. He's felt abandoned by the church. And so I just keep praying with him. Father, just lavish your love on him. Lavish your... Let me tell you something. Never worry about your reputation more than Jesus worried about his. Just don't do it, okay? Just worry as much about yours as he worried about his, and you'll be fine. So he pulls the curtain back. And so after several minutes, I said, you know, Tim, and he was just heaving. I said, Tim, I'm just going to leave you here with Jesus. And you and Jesus just reconnect. He was like, okay. And I said, I'm going to go sit down, just leave you here with Jesus. And I pull the curtain back, and everybody's looking at me like, what's going on up there? And I go sit down, and Marcy says, what happened? <laughs> she goes, I heard a loud bang, and I heard somebody holler and somebody crying. And I said, that's just Jesus loving on Tim. I wasn't going to tell her the personal details of his life, but I said, Tim's up there. He should walked away from Jesus, but they're just getting reconnected right now. I said, because Jesus is always pursuing us, Marcy. About that time, Tim pulls the curtain back and he comes out and tears are streaming down his face and he has his shirt wet with tears and everybody turns and looks at me like, what have you done to Tim? <laughs> and he comes back and he goes, Mr. Dawkins, I'm still having trouble with this. I'm still having trouble with understanding and embracing this. And Marcy pushes me back and she goes, Tim, Jesus loves you. He's pursuing you. He wants a relationship with you. I was like, when I say it, it sounds like pressure. <laughs> but oh no, not when she says it, it's okay. And Tim was like, ah, no, I, I, no, I know. And about that time, the pilot said he wanted all the flight attendants to prepare for landing. And Tim's like, I, I have to go back up there. And so he goes back up and I look at Marcy and I'm like, well, Marcy? And she goes, let's do it. So right there we pray and Marcy gives her life. We have a picture of Marcy that I just want to show you. Imagine a woman. There she is. This is right after she gave her life to Jesus. It was right after she gave her life to Jesus. Guys, let me tell you something. We were walking off the plane. And she goes, I've never felt so much joy. I've never felt so much peace in my entire life. And we get off the plane, and I grab Tim's hand, and I said, Tim, buddy, I love you. I said, Jesus loves you. And he goes, I know. And I said, Tim, what are you going to do from here? 
He goes, I'm going to find a Bible teaching church. I'm going to get back in, Robbie. I'm back in. And I said, way to go, Tim. Guys, how did that start? What do you do for a living? (laughs) What do you do? My friend, there are Marcy's all around you. Every day, all day long. Those stories are all around you. This is not about specially gifted people. This is about responding to those opportunities that are all around you. It just may start with a high. They're all there. Go for it. Step into it. Step out into it. Let's pray. People of the presence. People of the presence. That's what God's calling us to be. Some of you here now are just saying, man, I want to do that, but I just don't have the courage. I just lack the courage, and I need, I need the courage to do that. And if that's you, and you're just saying, I'd do that if I had the courage, and I just need the courage. If that's you, stand up right now. If you're just saying, I just lack the courage. Some of you may feel you have it. Don't feel like you have to stand. But if, you, if you're just like, I just need the courage, and I, I would do that. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with us here. Maybe your first step of courage is just standing up and acknowledging your need for it. I have a word for you. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to hear this. It's from the Lord. It's a word that the Lord spoke to Joshua. Take courage. Take it. He didn't say he would make them courageous or give them courage. He said, Joshua, take courage and be courageous. That is your identity. Courageous. More than a conqueror. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now take courage. And be very courageous. I just want you to just imagine your hands open and somebody just putting the rod of courage in your hand right now and you're just gripping it and just saying, this is me. This is who I am. This is mine. Take courage. I want to just ask all of you to stand. Just close your eyes. Just receive. Just put your hands out like somebody's giving you a gift right now.
I want you to be patient and just keep your eyes closed and receive from the Lord. Don't be anxious or in a hurry. Come, Holy Spirit. Just come right here, right now. let your manifest presence fall on this place, fall on us. Come. Just be patient. Come, Holy Spirit. Don't fear. Come. Fill us up. Just like last night, many of you are feeling God's presence on you now. Maybe that heat, that electricity, or there's that shakiness. If you're feeling that, just lift a hand right now. If you're feeling God's presence on you right now. And there's some of you that aren't, but you want to. There's some of you that are here that are wanting the proof of whether God is real or not. some of you are just wanting to experience him. Some of you have been following him for a long time. But you're just wanting to experience him. You're wanting to feel his presence on you. You're wanting to feel that reality of God. If he's there, you want it. If that's you and you're not feeling that, but you want to, I want you to step out and come down here right now. You're not feeling it, but you want to. takes the brave to start the flow. And again, some of you may be going, I've never experienced God or I've never believed in God or never even counted him. But if he's real, I want to. Take a courageous step and step out right now. More, Lord. Those of you back at your seat, keep receiving. The Spirit's here. More, Lord. Fill us up, Holy Spirit. Now, there's those of you, again, that you're feeling God's presence on you. You're feeling it on you, and you raised your hand before. Raise your hand again if you're feeling it. And maybe shaking this. If you do, I want you to come and just stand around these guys down here either behind them, in front of them, part of the ministry team, come up. and There's a hunger here. There's some of you that are here that you're just like, I'm just desperate for God. I just need that desperate. Just move your way. Just come up through here. What we want to do is just release on these guys what the Father's put on us right now. We just want to release just that 
reality of his presence. If you're feeling that, you're up here. Just step up here. Just step up around him right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Go deep. More, Lord. If you don't know what to pray, just say, Lord, just release on them what I, what's on me right now. I just release to them what's on me right now. Go deep. More, Lord. Be filled. Fill. Just begin to bless them. Just begin to speak it out. There's those of you that are back at your seats right now and you've come because you need healing in your body. You need a physical touch of healing. Raise your hand if you're at your seats and you need healing in your body. Now those that are around you, these may be Marcy's beside you. Just reach over and ask them, what's the condition? What's going on? And begin to pray for them. You may have never done it before, and that's perfect. Just step over to somebody with their hand raised right now. If you want God to use you, if you want to see God move, just step over and just put them just fine. Father, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you for the increase of the spirit. Just a gentleman right here. Just, yeah, there we go. Go deep, Holy Spirit. If you're at your seat and you're not moving, just stay right there. Just keep receiving right now. Don't be afraid. Go deep. Go deep. Go deep. More, Lord. Fill them up. Fill them up. Go deep, Holy Spirit. More, Lord. Increase. Increase. Fill. Fill. More, Lord. 